Uh, you know, it's, it's just really appropriate this morning, just the songs we were singing, the confession we did. Uh, you know, I, I brought the confession up here uh, with me this morning. Let me just read a, a part real quick out of it that we, we said earlier, uh, the beginning. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have, uh, they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of our youth or our transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember us for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And now hear this part. God, um, uh, uh, sorry, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. And this morning, I I read that to you because that's where we're going to be going uh, this morning. That is sort of, you know, the theme of of our worship and our sermon here this morning. So if you want to, go ahead and turn to Colossians uh, chapter 3 for me. And while you're getting there, uh, I want to go ahead and I want to start us off with a real life story. 124. That is the number of pounds my friend Brian lost in his, in his weight loss. Brian is the lead pastor of Holmes Avenue Baptist Church right here in Park Circle. And he's allowed me to share his story today about weight loss. I chatted with Brian about his success, uh, and I learned that he actually spent two years working on his weight to get to that goal. So I asked him, I said, what has been your biggest obstacle, you think, uh, of losing weight? And he told me that the biggest obstacle he had to overcome was his mindset. He said food and self-gratification had become his idols, and he was even enjoying that lifestyle. Those are his words. Uh, As time went on, Brian started becoming more convicted about his health when a doctor told him that he was on a fast track to having a heart attack within the year. And so, however, Brian's conviction really hit home with him when he discovered his lifestyle had physically limited his ability to help his wife take care of his two beautiful children. I mean, he even mentioned things to me like, I could not give my kids a bath because of my weight. After two years of working on his weight uh, and two years of working on his mindset, excuse me, his mindset and his health, of course, the results I already gave to you are amazing. 124 pounds lost. It all began with the conviction that he needed to focus his heart and his mind on the right things. So I, I share Brian's story with you all this morning because in a lot of ways, it's synonymous with our walk with Christ. We also have times of good strides, but we also have times of struggle. There are times when we are convicted by our sin and times when, quite, fr- quite frankly, we enjoy doing whatever we want. I'm sure we can all remember a time where, for a season, we allowed ourselves to ignore our identities as followers of Christ and indulge in worldly pleasures that negatively impacted our walk with Christ. So today, we're going to talk about how do we keep our focus fixed on Christ? How do we keep a proper focus on our walk with Christ? That's the question we're asking today. Let's take a look here. We're going to be in Colossians 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. If you're able, and if you would, would you please stand with me as we honor God and the reading of his word. Colossians 3, 1 through 11 says this. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, or excuse me, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all the way, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you yourself, or excuse me, see that you have put off the old self with its with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Would you pray with me this morning? Our loving Father, we thank you that we have the ability, the freedom, the opportunity to worship this morning and to hear from you. This text that we just read is not an easy text to hear or read because it forces us to be honest with you and honest with ourselves about our sins and our shortcomings. Father, help us to understand that we can come before you not with our heads bowed in shame, but with confidence of your mercy and grace and forgiveness, and that in submitting to you, we find redemption and healing found only in your great love for us. Lord, open our eyes, soften our hearts. Help us to see the things that, you, that take our focus off of you and cause us to look to ourselves instead of to your everlasting love. This morning, I pray that you would hide me behind you and that you would speak your word to us. Let every word today be from you and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The title of our sermon is Faith Fixed and Focused. We're gonna look at three points this morning on how we keep our walk uh, focused on Christ. And I wanna clarify these three points is not a laundry list of things that we must do if you want God to love you. These are more practical things that we can do to help us stay fixed on Christ as God draws himself to us, uh, excuse me, draws us to him, I should say. So point number one, how do we keep our, our faith fixed and focused? It starts with number one, a renewed mindset. A proper focus on our walk, with Christ, our walk with Christ begins with a proper mindset and an understanding of how our lives are different because of Christ. Let's look back here at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. We see really a before and an after here. Uh, back in verse 1, Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, and again down in verse 4, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, this, this is this mention, there's this mention of being raised and, and for because you have died, we can't miss this because this is the very foundation of our Christian faith. The Bible tells us that because of our sin against God, we were once spiritually dead. As in no saving ourselves. When you're dead, you're dead. There's no coming back from that on your own. Our lives were set on a path of our own destruction 
And there was no way for us to get ourselves off of that path. But along the way, something changed. Christ comes and he dies on the cross for us, putting to death the very death within us. And then he raises from the grave. And as he raises, he raises our dead spirits with him into new life. So Paul is telling us here that the very source of the life that we have right now is in Christ. It's Christ himself. And when we are in Christ, when we are walking with Christ, when we are followers of Christ, no one can take that victory away from him or away from us. Not our sin, not our sufferings, not our failures, not even Satan himself can take away the victory that we already have in Christ. And with this new life, Paul explains that because of this new life, we set our minds now on heavenly things. As Paul says in Romans, things on the spirit of life, heavenly goals, if you will, a pursuit of Christ-likeness. The life we have now, that the new life we have, has been empo- we're empowered in that life because he gives us life. So how we live each day, how we depend on him in tough times, how we praise him for the success in life, how we treat others, our life in Christ influences and empowers our mindset so that each day is an opportunity to honor him with our lives and to walk in the victory that he has graciously given us. And we do this because he promises that when we are reunited with him for all of eternity, we appear with him in all of his glory. We call this the now and the not yet. We aren't just focused on the future, but we are already starting to live in that future now. Uh, Martin Dehan II reflects on the story of astronaut uh, Christian McAuliffe, I'm sorry, Krista McAuliffe, Krista was one of the seven astronauts who lost their lives in the explosion of the Space Shuttle Challenger on January 28, 1986. She had been selected from among many applicants to be the first teacher in space. Her commitment to education in the space program had captured the the imagination of many. At a memorial service, one teacher said, when Krista stepped onto that shuttle, we stepped on it with her. And when she died, a part of us died too. These comments about Krista remind us uh, of a much deeper identification that we have, a believer's spiritual union with Christ. Because of our relationship with him, we can say when he was lifted up on that cross, we were there with him. And when he died, we died. The Apostle Paul said that when we died with Christ, we were also raised with him. Therefore, in him, we are accepted and forgiven by God. But what remains to be seen is whether our lives show that we really do believe that we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Our confession of faith must be more than just a memorial statement. It must show that we have put away our old life of sin and we have set our mind on things above. So our mindset should be one that seeks to honor him with the life that he's given us. 
And listen, I know we live in a world today, in a world that's it's trying its very hardest to tell us all how we should think, how we should feel, what we should be doing with our lives, what we should be standing up for, what to believe in. And the thing is, if we listened to all of those voices, it would be overwhelming. So let's just keep it simple and let's keep it true to God's word. Here's what a focused mindset on, on being a Christ follower looks like. Philippians 4.8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, pure, lovely, attractive, excellent, and praiseworthy of Christ. I also thought, what are some practical ways to help us today to adjust our mindset on him? And listen, I give these things to you as things that I myself have not mastered, but I'm working on too. Number one, start your day with prayer. Find a time, whether it's before you get out of bed or while you're having coffee in the morning, whether you're in the shower or you're driving to work, whatever works for you, find a time to pray for your day and ask God to help you to love him and serve him just for today. And when you get up tomorrow, you do it again. Number two, spend time reading the word. I mean, I know this sounds a little cliche, but, but listen, when I go to work, the first thing I try to do is read a few verses or even a chapter or two of his word. And I find practically that helps me get in the right mindset. And number three, look for the big and even small ways that you can show others the love of Christ, just through simple generosity, through serving, through compassion. Use whatever time, gifts, talents, wherever you work, where the people you encounter, just simple everyday things. Find ways that you can just serve others with Christ in mind. These are just a few things that we can do, easy things, simple things that we can do. So how else do we keep a proper focus on our walk with Christ? Our second point here is this, is that we not only need to have a renewed mindset, but we need a renewed conviction. A proper focus on our walk with Christ requires an urgent change in our lifestyles. Back here in verses five through nine, we see yet another before and after comparison. In verse five, Paul states, put to death, Therefore, what is earthly in you? In verse 7, in these things you once walked. You can see the before and the after, the difference that having Christ in your life makes. Paul is making it clear that our new life in Christ means ending, uh, an ending to our previous life of sin. Now, why? Well, because if we don't, our previous lifestyle becomes an obstacle to our walk with Christ. We see, we see this in our, own, in our own walk with Christ now. I mean, we, we see, as I mentioned earlier, we see the struggles we have. You know the struggles that you have. I know the struggles that I have. But the difference is, is that when we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, which helps convict us of our sin, which leads us toward repentance and walking in Christ's victory. But are we willing? That's what Paul is trying to tell us here, is that walking with Christ means being willing to put our sin to death. God empowers us to be able to do that with the guidance and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. But again, are we willing? 
Paul gives us, also gives us here two lists that we need to consider, two lists of sins or things to put to death. So we need to talk about these two lists. The first list here is, 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 uh, is sexual morality, impurity, evil desires, and covetedness. All of these are sexual sins that occur outside of the body. I mean, think about this. They're, they're really sins that occur outside the realm of a heterosexual monogamous marriage. And so we need to take a moment and ask ourselves, okay, well, why did Paul pick this category? Why, why these? Why is he focusing on this category? Well, it's partly because in the culture in that time, sexual morality was very rampant. But we can even say the same thing about our culture today. And additionally, there's something here about the nature of this kind of sin. Notice here, this sort of sin encompasses the body, the heart, the mind, and the spirit. It completely engulfs us in every part of our being, of who we are. And without realizing it, indulging in sexual sin becomes an idol that we will worship in body, in mind, in heart, and soul. We cannot have a proper focus on our walk with Christ if we are willingly allowing ourselves to be engulfed by sexual sin. Paul's second list deals more with our relationship with others and how we treat others. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. I'm reminded of these verses uh, from James 3, 9 through 11, which says this, with the tongue we praise our, our Lord and Father, but with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? The point that both Paul and James is trying to make to us is this, is that if we don't put to death our sinful patterns, our sinful habits, it has spiritual ramifications. Our stubborn sin that we hold on to, that we keep running back to, affects our devotion and our walk with Christ and affects the relationships that we have with others. A pastor writes this. He says, there's an article in the San Francisco newspaper that reported about a young man who once found a $5 bill on the street in which he decided from that time on, he would never lift his eyes while walking. The paper went on to say that over the years, he accumulated many things. And among those things were, were a few figures like 29,000 buttons, <laughs> uh, 54,000 hairpins, but in terms of money, only a measly 12 cents. But he also lost something by doing that. The glory of the sunlight, the radiance of the stars, and the smiles of friends, and the freshness of blue skies. The pastor writes, I'm afraid that we as Christians are like that man. While we may not walk around staring at the sidewalk um, we get so engrossed with the things that, uh, of life that they give little attention to spiritual and eternal values. Perhaps they got a taste of some fleeting pleasure, uh, pleasure offered by the world and that they've been spending all their time pursuing it, but that's dangerous. When God's children, who are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, gives their affection and attention to a world that is passing away, they lose the upward look. Their perspective becomes distorted and they fail to bask in heaven's sunlight. 
taken up by the baubles of this world, they become defeated, delinquent Christians. Buttons, pins, and pennies, but no treasures laid up in heaven. So listen, when it comes to struggling with sin, I get it. I don't want to come across harsh to anyone today, and I don't want to come across that I've got it all figured out and mastered, because I sure as heck don't. I have my own sinful struggles too. And I especially need to hear this sermon in God's words this morning. But I am here to tell you that as we struggle with ridding ourselves of sin, God's goodness and grace is there for us every single day. And thank goodness that we can walk in total victory over sin and because of the victory that we have in Christ. The question we need to ask ourselves this is, th- is this then, how are we living How is our lifestyle today either drawing us closer to God or pulling us away? What sins are you struggling with today? Or maybe a better question is what struggles do we need to surrender over to Christ today? Are we willing to let God have control of that area of our life? So you might ask yourself, okay, well, listen, I'm willing, but I've been struggling. What do I do? 1 John 1 Start with confessing it to God, and you will find every time his forgiveness and grace. It may be your first time confessing. It may be your millionth time confessing and asking, but you cannot outrun his grace, and you cannot outrun his forgiveness. James 5, number two, confess your sin to one another. Find someone that you can trust. Find someone to be, you know, again, there's this this term accountability partner, and that sounds like a cheesy Christian term, but But it's a very practical way of someone coming alongside of you to support you, to pray for you, to encourage you. And as someone who has has sin struggles, I can tell you, it works. It helps. James 5, number 3, also says this. Let a church elder pray for you. Ask other people to just simply pray for you. And if you're one of those people, by the way, that someone asks to pray for you or pray for them, follow up with them. Ask them how that's going. And remind them about the grace that's found in the gospel. But if we do nothing, and these are just a few things, this is an exhaustive list, but but my point is, if if we don't do something, if we do nothing, our proper focus on our walk with Christ, it's it's gonna, (laughs) we're gonna veer to the right and to the left often, and our idols will always take over and take us off the straight and narrow path of following Christ. The last point is this, of how do we keep a proper focus on our walk with Christ, is number three, is we need a renewed identity. A proper focus on our walk with Christ accepts the life given by our new, our new identity in Christ. Back in verse 9, verse 9 basically sums up what we've been saying all along is that a renewed mindset and renewed conviction means we put aside our old life and our old ways and we live a life that reflects the image of Christ. As an author once said, the one who created man and woman in his image is recreating them, sinful thought though they may have, into the likeness of Christ. The idea here is what we're getting at is sanctification. 
The Bible tells us that upon accepting Christ, we have been sanctified and we are being sanctified and we will be continue to be sanctified until Christ's holiness is perfectly reflected in us. In other words, God has not given up on you. He is still working in you every day. It's an identity that comes with being a follower of Christ. Just as our salvation is hidden in Christ, our identity is also hidden in Christ. Kind of like we mentioned earlier, our sins, our struggles, and our failures, none of that will ever change who you are in Christ, a recreation into his likeness. But much like when we wake up in the morning and we put on our new clothes to start the new day, we put on our identity lest we go back to putting on the filthy rags we once were. There's something else that we need to see here is that this new identity is one where believers everywhere have in common. We all share the same identity. Paul makes it clear back in verse 11 that your status of who you are today doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, Latino, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar, super educated, not very educated. God is only interested in the status of your heart with Christ or without Christ, a new creation or an old creation. Where does your heart stand? Author Bill Tell recounts a story here. A number of years ago, I was discipling a young man who had recently been released from the state's juvenile detention center. As a teenager, he had been hooked on drugs and he had resorted to stealing to support his habit. His behavior had resulted in a new, unwanted identity. Standing before a judge, he likely heard something like this You stole, which is the behavior, therefore, you're a thief which is the identity. Not only was he declared guilty of breaking the law, but he was condemned as a thief for the rest of his life. Author Bill Tell continues, what about Christians? We often hear, you sin, therefore you're a sinner. For those who are believers, I'm asking this question, is that truly a real statement? Is that a true, accurate statement? The behavior part is certainly true. We sin. We sin a lot. <laughs> but the, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing as a mature believer, laments in Romans seven nineteen that I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want to do, that is what I keep doing. Likewise, the Apostle John wrote, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But what about the last part of that statement I asked? Therefore, you sin, therefore, you are a sinner. Again, is that, a, is that part true as being a follower of Christ? Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes that what is worse than doing evil is being evil. Paul openly admitted that he, did not, that he did, still did evil, but he rejoiced that God did not consider him an evil person. He continues on in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the absurd and exhilarating good news of the gospel is this. Our identity in Christ is no longer based on our behavior. It is based on the behavior 
of Jesus Christ himself. This is why our identity is not sinner, but as it says in Romans 1, 7, saint. Our identity is not that of sinners trying hard to become saints. We are saints because of Jesus's behavior, who like Paul, we continue to do the things that we hate and sadly sometimes the things that we don't hate but should hate. So let's ask ourselves this this morning, saints. Let's ask ourselves this, followers of Christ. Have we fully surrendered to our new identity? Are we willing to set aside our past life, our worldly thinking, our personal gratifications, and our status in this world, and look at the ultimate identity that we have in Christ and in his kingdom, saints, accepted, heirs to the throne, or I'm sorry, heirs to the kingdom, not the throne, the kingdom. <laughs> so as we get ready to close out here, I want to just remind you of a couple of things that we've talked about this morning. First, a proper focus on Christ requires a new mindset. As followers of Christ, are we willing to have a mindset that seeks to glory and honor God with our lives? The second is following Christ means a renewed conviction. Are we willing to let go of our idols and submit our struggles to Christ so that we can walk in his victory? And third, our new life is a renewed identity. Are we willing to surrender and accept our new life that Christ has given us? And even though we all struggle with all of these things we've mentioned today, we struggle with all of these things every day, including me, (laughs) there's good news for all of us. There is such a wonderful grace and forgiveness found in Christ, and God is not keeping a scorecard on your life. When we confess our need for him, we are admitting that only he can give us victory. When we come to him confident in the hope, we can come to him confident in the hope that only he can give us. We can't do it on our own strength. There is no hope within ourselves. Otherwise, we will always lose. Start with Christ and surround yourself with people who are willing to pray for you and support you. Let's go to him in prayer now. Father, we come before you this morning as those who need the gospel, as those, Father, who struggle every day, struggle with sin, struggle with trials, struggle with burden, struggle with things that when we lay our head on our pillows at night, they keep us awake. Father, you know the struggles we have, the anxieties we have. But Father, we come before you this morning as a people dependent not on ourselves, but on you. Lord, help us. Help us to see, help us to know with wisdom of the things that we need to surrender to you, of the things, Father, that we need to let go of so that we can continue to walk in full victory of Christ. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for dying, for raising and ascending so that we could have life and victory in your name. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for counseling and convicting our hearts and helping us to stay on the straight and narrow path of following Christ. Father, I do ask this morning, if there is someone who is struggling, remind them of your love for them and your forgiveness of them. Remind all of us 
as we read earlier, there is no more condemnation. So help us to confess the things we need to confess and help us to embrace the love and the mercy and grace that is found in Christ alone. In his name we pray, amen.